Last week, I decided to speak of, about uh, a topic that I think is nearest and dearest to all our hearts, and that's the desire to be happy and to be free of suffering, and that that's what, uh, what binds us all in a, a universal shared longing, desire to be happy. And I mostly focused on on the clear distinction that the Buddha made between the happiness that we um, that we mostly find ourselves involved in, what he called worldly happiness, lokiya sukha, the happiness that uh, depends on uh, satisfying something that we want, something, some hunger that we have, fulfilling a hunger that depends on conditions, that usually depends on things being pleasant and the absence of unpleasantness, and a happiness that he called the happiness of, beside being our conventional worldly happiness, one that's very, that we need in order to, to be uh, buoyed uh, through our life, to enjoy the world of sense pleasures, the wor- enjoy the world of good company, Still, this kind of happiness, if we make it our devotion, uh, he called the happiness of slavery or the happiness of bondage, that it's all subsumed. Any kind of worldly happiness is subsumed under the umbrella of what's called dukkha, which is uh, unsatisfactory, unreliable. So even the, even the best kind of worldly happiness still leaves in its wake, uh, because things change, leaves a sense of loss and and that kind of happiness is not so reliable. Rather, he uh, suggested that we aim for, that all of us in our life and those who come to spiritual practice, without knowing it, may be aiming for, for a different kind of happiness. And he called that, that different kind of happiness, one that is to be encouraged, he called it lokutra sukha, or... Um, or transcendental happiness, or the happiness of freedom, the happiness that is free of hunger, the happiness that doesn't depend on uh, on whether there's pleasure or the absence of pain, that, that happiness that can pervade and hold both pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and shame, uh, all of the, the worldly winds that blow through our lives that can hold all of them and maintain it and have a sense of well-being that's, that's beyond the power and influence of whatever's happening. And that's called, the, it's called freedom or uh, liberation or nirvana. And that the idea is if you aim for that highest happiness, this is, I'm just reiterating what I said last week, if you aim for the highest happiness, that, the happiness of freedom, that doesn't mean that you give up the, the things of this world, worldly happiness. In fact, all the other kinds of pleasure come in the wake of of having your heart open and non-reactive. You're able to experience great joy and also great sorrow without, without getting uh, bound up in it. So this is the, the direction. I spent much of the time just describing these two different kinds of happiness last week. But it, um, it, in my own mind, I, I, didn't, um, I didn't get as specific about uh, how how the way that we live our lives, what we do with our lives, can bring us uh, 
all kinds of, of happiness that are not just worldly happiness, but the kind of worldly happiness that leads to, that's onward leading, that leads to uh, the happiness of freedom. And the way the Buddha spoke about it, in many different ways, but one of the ways that he spoke about it is that if you see life the way it really is, you'll see that it has all kinds of problems that are just inherent in being born. You've heard me, those of you who've been here before, know that I often like to to say that the being born, and I borrowed this from the Wiley's Dictionary, they're the Wiley's Dictionary definition of birth is the leading cause of death. But I, I expanded it for my own purposes that birth is the leading cause of all kinds of stress. It's the leading cause of, of not wanting what you get, not getting what you want. It's the leading cause of sickness, old age. It's the leading cause of all kinds of things that are inevitable. And it's really important, as the Buddha taught us, as a way to begin that process of finding the happiness of freedom, to see that for what it is, to stop living as though uh, it's really possible to have a life that's free of those inevitable things like sickness, old age, and death, loss, etc., etc., frustrated desire, wounded pride. All those things are inevitable for everybody's life. But he didn't stop there. He said that another, if you see more clearly that what keeps that what keeps us really bound up and in contention fighting with reality is a desire this tendency of our mind to want things to be different than the way they are every moment how many of you really live mom- contentedly if we're really honest with ourselves we're mostly from the moment we wake up a little dissatisfied and this is a, an expression of the second truth that he said, if you really examined it and followed the prescription that he mentioned, you would begin to, uh, you would begin to abandon this cause of uh, this inevitable suffering turning into a lot of mental suffering, a lot of dissatisfaction. And that is this, to see clearly that what keeps you bound up in uh, fighting with reality is your craving for uh, for more sense pleasure, craving for more existence, craving to have things stop, craving for things to be different than the way they are. And this craving actually makes it harder to deal with the inevitable, actually adds mental suffering to the basic stress of, of um, how it is. So this... If you can abandon this cause, this is a leading edge of moving toward uh, this happiness of freedom, to abandon this tendency to want things to be different than the way they are. He didn't stop there. He said there really is one for each of us. Every single person can experience a cessation, a melting away, a letting go of that cause of suffering. There is the capacity in each of us to be free, to feel that freedom. To know this, uh, his prescription for this was to realize that. Don't stop with just knowing that all your uh, craving leads you 
leads you to mental suffering, that doesn't do anything, anybody any good, unless it becomes the cause of truly letting go and feeling and knowing for yourself that there is freedom in this very life, in the midst of it all. And he didn't stop there either. He went on to say that there are, there are means of developing both worldly and this transcendental happiness. And the, the heart of it is what he described in the Noble Eightfold Path. And every tradition has its, its uh, version of the Noble Eightfold Path. They're just basically universal, universal um, truths about what actually brings, what can bring a happiness to our hearts and to the hearts of, of all beings. And the heart of that Noble Eightfold Path is, first and foremost, the cultivation. And this is, to me, the, the heart of what leads to, to happiness, both worldly and otherworldly, uh, is, the, uh, is the importance of virtue, the importance of what the Buddha called sila, or ethics, morality, living a life of non-harmingness, non-harming. And so it's not just, okay, there's, I'm going to choose the happiness of transcendence. I'm not going to get bound up in the happiness of sense pleasures. There are means that you can employ. You can see for yourself day after day, moment after moment, any of us can, that if we practice wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, this will lead us onward to feeling uh, more happy. And I'll just read a few things that I thought were quite sweet about just the foundation of virtue and how it is onward leading toward happiness. This is from the, what's called the Anguttara Nikaya, or the numbered teachings or the numbered discourses of the Buddha. This is a, a very kind of arcane kind of dialogue that you find in the sutras that can drive some people crazy, but I'm going to do it anyway. What, Lord, is the benefit of virtuous ways of conduct? What is their reward? Non-remorse. Ananda is the benefit and reward of virtuous ways of conduct. Non-remorse. And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of non-remorse? Gladness, Ananda. And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of gladness? Joy. And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of joy? Serenity. And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of serenity? Happiness. And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of happiness? Concentration of the mind. And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of concentration? Knowledge and vision of things as they really are. And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of knowledge and vision of things as they really are? Revulsion and dispassion. 
And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of revulsion and dispassion? The knowledge and vision of liberation. Hence, Ananda, virtuous ways of conduct have non-remorse as their benefit and reward. Non-remorse has gladness and its benefit and reward. Gladness has joy as its benefit and reward. Joy has serenity as its benefit and reward. Serenity has happiness as its benefit and reward. Happiness has concentration as its benefit and reward. Concentration has knowledge and vision of things as they really are as its benefit and reward. Knowledge and vision of things as they really are has revulsion and dispassion as its benefit and reward. Revulsion and dispassion have the knowledge and vision of liberation as their benefit and reward. In this way, Ananda, virtuous ways of conduct lead step by step to the highest happiness. Now, you may have gotten stuck with the passage. I'll say it again. And what, Lord, is the benefit and reward of knowledge and vision of things as they really are? Revulsion and dispassion. Now, revulsion and dispassion, what do you think that means? Revulsion and dispassion. I mean, our conventional way of looking at revulsion is that makes me sick. But there is even, there is as part of our uh, unfolding insight knowledge, if we see things the way they are in our life, if we understand that first fundamental truth that the Buddha talked about, is that everything in our life is marked by three common characteristics. Every experience, every day of our lives, every person in our life, every, every possible sense experience that we have is marked by three experiences, and, or by three, three uh, characteristics. And those three characteristics, those three common characteristics, are that everything has the nature to arise and the nature to pass away. Everything is marked by impermanence and change. So that's the first characteristic. Because everything is marked by impermanence and change, there is no lasting satisfaction to be found in any experience, in any person, in your mind, in your body, in any internal or external experience. So everything is marked by unsatisfactoriness. If we really knew that, if we really know that, then our mind begins to be um, uh, develop some dispassion, some um, less uh, involvement, less less clinging, less bound up in, less identification with things that can't make us really happy. And initially, when, when a person, and I may be probably everyone in this room at, at some point, otherwise you might not even be here tonight, at some point you felt this kind of dismay at the futility of finding anything any reliable experience, the futility of finding any experience that will make you permanently happy in your everyday life. Has anybody had that, that a feeling of dismay about that and a recognition that it's futile to try to find anything? Isn't that what turned you toward 
some turned you toward the Dharma, turned you toward the that search that no other desire could fulfill, the search for freedom. It doesn't happen if you still think that there's an experience that you can have that will give you lasting happiness in this world of change. So if you see things, if you've opened to to this, these common characteristics, the inevitable result is your mind will just begin to let go, begin to let release the holding so tightly, the clinging, the obsession, as I talked about during the sitting tonight, the obsession with trying to get somewhere, the obsession with what's next, and begin a process of opening to life just the way it is. And if we open to life the way it is, then we inevitably begin to find our seat, our Buddha seat in the middle of it all. We are able to meet then joys, sorrows, things that come and they go without the, the sense that there's something wrong here. Things are slipping through my fingers. I brought along a passage from Edgar Allan Poe, who is exclaiming the, the pain of, of having to open to the fact of, of change. But he, he was in process in this poem. I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of golden sand. How few! Yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep while I weep, while I weep. Oh, God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? Oh, God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? He's grappling with the fact of impermanence. But this is the, at least in Dharma circles, this is the the springboard to happiness. This is a this is the the joy. This is the beginning of joy. As William Blake, the poem that I've often shared here, his poem where he says, uh, "He or she who binds to herself a joy does the winged life destroy, but she who kisses the joy as it flies." lives in eternity sunrise. But she who clings to the joy, dukkha, suffering. Then John O'Donohue, I don't know how many of you know, beautiful, uh, I think Irish uh, poet, no longer alive, former priest, uh, he in his poem called Fluent, I would la- I'd love to live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its unique unfolding, of its own unfolding. Now, this is someone who who's, sees that in order to find happiness, we have to live in harmony with things as they are, with change. And in fact, it, the Buddha, every day, with the monks and the nuns, and, and since for... T- 2,500 years, the chant, same chant has been done every day in monasteries. And it goes, as all of you probably, many of you know, it, it goes in Pali. It goes, Ani cha wada sankara upadawa yadamino 
Upakituwa niruchanti desang bupasamo suko means all things are impermanent, they arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. So it's the, the secret. It doesn't sound like what we're taught uh, when we wake up in the morning and open up our computers or turn on the TV or look at the billboards. Opening to impermanence is the key to happiness. <laughs> but wisdom and knowledge of things as they are is a springboard to great happiness, to the happiness of freedom. So the Buddha didn't stop there. He talked about there being many means. I, I talked about virtue. I talked about um, I talked about knowledge and things as they as they are, wise understanding. Uh, that leads to wise intention. He also talked about the happiness and joy that comes from learning to abide uh, passionately and intensely in the present moment, that joy and happiness that comes with a concentrated heart and mind. That it's not just something that it's not about winning the lottery. It's not about the accumulation of stuff. It's about what happens when your mind and body are in the same place. When your mind is not looking ahead and not looking back and you are rooted in whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is you're saying, whatever it is you're feeling, and you're in the most immediate way with life as it's unfolding, with like that river in, with the with its natural unfolding. When you are living in that kind of immediacy with a concentrated heart and mind, it brings a great happiness. It brings a great pleasure. And it was considered one of the, one of the, um, the main causes of, of not only worldly happiness, because it's, it's worldly in that it's... Um, in that it, even a concentrated mind is not permanent and ultimately not reliable, but it also gives us a glimpse of that sense of, of transcendental kind of happiness, a glimpse of unity, a glimpse of oneness that all of us long for. All of us long to return to our natural state, which is in a state of total immersion with life as it is. A state where we're not, our mind is not thinking that we've gotten cut off from the flow of life. We've never gotten cut off from the flow of life. That's our imagination. So when we, from our own efforts, from our own interest, from our own uh, determination, keep putting our mind back in our body, orienting it to the present moment, we can, we can gain the confidence that it is possible to experience, to reclaim that oneness, to reclaim that wholeness. Even if it's a glimpse with concentration, it is a springboard to, to realizing that is what our natural state is. And it's not by accident. It's natural to us, but we, we need to uh, re, reclaim it through the arousing of our energy and effort and 
and our practice, whatever practice you do, concentrated mind is a cause of happiness. The Buddha said that the concentrated mind isn't really a reliable kind of happiness. It's very helpful. A more reliable happiness is the happiness that comes from what's considered the, um, the quality that is the, the gateway to nirvana, which is the last of the, what are so-called, the so-called ten perfections of the Buddha, of any Buddha, of any person that really wants to refine the kinds of, to refine a sense of happiness, to refine a sense of well-being. There are ten qualities that we can continue to refine in our lives, and with each one, it brings more and more happiness. Are you all interested in ways that you can actually refine happiness? Or you just want to hear just the word happiness in the air? You know, it's actually nice to have happiness in the air, but this makes it a little bit more serious. I'll go through the different ten perfections. The one I was about to refer to was the perfection of equanimity. Equanimity is the the quality of of balance and serenity, that capacity to see things the way they are and not be so reactive, to be able to see, okay, you know, this is, my body's in pain. This is the pain body. I'm going to do everything I can to fix it, but whether I experience pain or the absence of pain, it may be beyond my will or wish. I'm just going to work, I'll work with it the way it is. And this is the quality of serenity. I care about myself, but I may not be able to keep myself from experiencing uh, difficulties. That's just how it is. You, you notice the feeling with that? It's, uh, it's not, oh my God, I'm, I've got a knee pain. I've got a back pain. My bank account's low. Okay, things are the way they are. I don't want to make light of those things that are painful things. But we can even develop equanimity around our neurotic reactions. Oh, this is what a neurotic reaction is. We can see, I'm really nuts today. And you can see by the knowing of it, by meeting it with awareness, already that quality of equanimity grows. But there are other qualities that we can perfect, that we can refine. The word parami also is translated as completeness, that the... We, they can, they can uh, be aroused to a point where they express a, a, a level of perfection or completeness. The first quality that I speak about a lot, and it's really the first teaching that the Buddha offered that is a, a leading cause of happiness and joy, is the practice of dana, a practice of generosity. It's something that we can refine every day in our lives. We can move from fearful giving, from beggarly giving, from giving that which we don't care about, to giving ourselves completely, to giving freely that which we value most. We can can experience and check it out, experience for ourselves, great joy in the thought of giving things, and then joy in the act of giving things, and then joy in the memory of giving things. You do this over and over, you start to have more happiness. How many of you have made a practice of, of, grow, of strengthening your dana? Strengthening, and when I say dana, I don't mean just in the basket here every Tuesday. I mean when the impulse arises to, to be generous, to, 
practice it, to extend yourself in that way. It is a very reliable quality that we all, we all have this tremendous capacity and it brings great joy. Second one I talked about already, the, the refinement of our uh, ethic, ethics and morality, the refinement of care to be harmless in our speech, to be harmless uh, in, our, um, in our actions, not, to, not to, to steal, not to cheat, not to uh, exploit others with our, um, with our minds, with our bodies, not to cloud our perception with intoxicants to the point where we're, we're heedless or where, we ca- where we're careless, that we can actually expand, uh, we can expand and refine our ethics and morality to the point where we can experience what the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness, the bliss of, of not having to reflect on the things that we've done that caused harm not have to feel guilt, remorse, um, and, the, and the ultimate uh, payback for things, ways that we have, things that we've said or things that we've done. I still reverberate from, and from screaming at people. I think back to how many policemen that I've just, I've just, wailed, you know, just just screamed at and called every name in the book. And I still think about it. And it still brings pain to my heart, even though there was a there was a some a bit of intoxication in the moment of doing it, as there often is when we get angry and able to cut loose. But then I but that's followed by remorse, by guilt, by just not feeling good about it. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. We've, done, we've all done things like that. But yet, through wise action, through the bliss, uh, through the um, practice of sila, of ethics, morality, can become the cause of great happiness in our lives. So just practicing wise speech, speech that is truthful. How many of you exaggerate? How many of you speak in, uh, in untimely ways? How many of you speak sometimes not for somebody's benefit, but to harm them. How many of you go in for digs? How many of you withhold? That's another kind of speech, passive aggression. So this is something we can continually refine our speech, kind, gentle, for one's benefit, truthful, um, not, um, not talking about third parties as much as we do not gossiping. It's how much energy is drained from our natural vitality by trashing other people through speech, subtle or, you know, or very obvious. And how it, how it builds up, how we, it tends to be driven by building up some kind of uh, superiority view and you know, raising ourselves as though we are somehow better than the person that we judge. There's the inequality of being. There's, in real time, there's no one who's any better than anyone else. Can you find anything, anyone here better than anyone else if you, in real time, in the immediate present? That's all just a, it's just, a, it's a kind of masturbation, the comparing mind. It's just, just empty, Empty 
discharge. It is. It causes suffering. Yet, the ceasing of that bring, is the cause of happiness. So, the, I, I won't spend too much time on this because we're running out of time. So, the ten paramis, dana, sila, which I've talked about, the bliss of blamelessness, the joy of renunciation, the joy of saying, I'm giving up practicing the cause, uh, doing the things that I know cause me suffering. And experiencing a joy in letting go, a joy in not, in not holding on so tightly. So I can't get too into renunciation tonight, but it's a joyful thing. As Suzuki Roshi put it, renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but in, in letting go, in realizing that they go away, in finding that harmony with impermanence. And then just relaxing, settling back into the moment. So the parami or the perfection of renunciation, the perfection of wisdom, deepening our understanding of the Four Noble Truths, of, the, uh, of suffering and the end of suffering, deepening our understanding of our own minds and bodies and what, it, and what, the, what is true about our mind and our body, what's true about our life, what is true about what brings happiness and what leads to, to suffering. Knowing that for ourselves, perfecting that, this is a cause of happiness. Next one is called wiria or virya, which is the perfection of energy and diligence and, and vigor and effort. It's learning how to refine our effort so that we're, we live in a, so we can maximize our, our vitality and our energy for living life in the immediate present with a lot of gusto. And that's something that we're not just stuck with. I, I, you know, some people, it's a very common conversation is, you know, that person has a lot of energy. That person doesn't have much energy. I think there is some difference in vital energy, but a lot of it is just habit and that we can actually build our vital energy, build our energy through effort, through actually every day, not in a kind of... Um, not destructive way where you do something because it's good for you, but you just keep informed by wisdom. You keep inclining toward uh, effort for the right things, things that will lead to more happiness. And it builds, effort builds effort. Energy builds energy. And you just keep building, keep building. Every day, do your practice. The perfection of patience, developing patience, which is, of course, the opposite of impatience, which is just another form of aversion. So that's doing whatever it is that helps loosen your aversion, help you settle back and, and begin to enter the flow of life and trust the unfolding of things, not be so hurried, be in such a hurry to help the Dharma along. But we're, we tend to be so obsessed with what's next that we have to really learn to manage time to develop patience. When I say manage time, it means manage our perception of time, manage our, our understanding of where happiness really is to be found. It's not to be found in the future. All search for happiness in the future, I think I read to you last week from Nisargadatta, all search for happiness in the future uh, leads, is misery and leads to more misery. That the only happiness that we can aim for reliably is the happiness that can be found right in the here and now. So that 
if as long as we're we associate with the future, the tendency is to topple forward and to hurry, trying con- con- constantly to get somewhere. Just quickly through these, the perfection of truthfulness, that gets back into uh, wise speech, inner and outer, telling ourselves the truth. Truth and honesty is one of the ten perfections. And we can all become much more refined at that, much more nuanced about knowing uh, as we talk to another person to say what's true but also what's useful. And sometimes telling the truth is not so useful in a certain moment if it's not timely and for another variety of reasons. Then there's the perfection of determination and resolution, being determined, um, being resolved to, to be happy. That's the first and most important aim. Be determined to be happy. If you're, if you're, um, if you're wishy-washy about it, if you either think, oh, it's not possible, or, oh, it's okay for them but not for me, or any kind of consideration that is other than anything other than uh, persistent, determined, uh, resolved, will, uh, you'll easily fall to the lowest common denominator. And so the encouragement to keep developing whatever helps determination. People who are athletes really know how important determination is. Last and not least, uh, before I, I already did the final, the, the culmination of the paramis, which is equanimity, but the, uh, the foundation even for equanimity as a perfection is the perfection of loving kindness. Is every day arousing thoughts of goodwill toward ourselves, first of all, and toward others. As I, anytime I talk about loving kindness, uh, I've found in daily life the most successful kind of loving kindness. Of course, most important is that you're regarding yourself kindly and that you're being the best friend that you can to yourself. But a way of arousing the impulse of loving kindness and and the feeling of loving kindness and the feeling of belonging and connection is to be constantly uh, in, inclining toward goodwill with the people around you, the strangers, people you don't know, people who you can't stand, all beings. I call it the stealth loving kindness. Under your breath all day long, I wish you well, I wish you well. May you be happy. I love you. You're, the, I, you're a human being. You're a sentient being. All beings want to be happy. I know that you cause suffering even though you... Even though you want to be happy, you're, even your when you cause suffering, it's your your distorted, ignorant attempt to try to be happy. May you be happy. May you be happy. And you just keep generating that wish for for yourself and for other beings. And hopefully, you practice some of these things, you'll be happier. And it's not just a it's not something that uh, it's just a crapshoot. It's something you can do something about. So may this. Um, conversation and thoughts of happiness, thoughts of the perfections, thoughts of the Four Noble Truths, all this be uh, dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings, including ourselves. So let's just sit for one moment and And I call on the words of Hafiz. 
as our final blessing or prayer where he says, you carry all the ingredients to turn your life into a nightmare. Don't mix them. You have all the genius to build a swing in your backyard for the divine, for that sounds like a hell of a lot more fun. Let's start laughing, drawing blueprints, gathering our talented friends. I will help you with my divine lyre and drum. You carry all the ingredients to turn your existence into joy. Mix them, mix them. May all beings have happiness and the cause of happiness. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings recognize the sacred happiness, the happiness of freedom here and now, not look for anything but this. And may all beings at least grow in the happiness of equanimity, of serenity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less reactivity. Thank you. We have a few more, uh, not a few more, I have a f one more uh, prayer that I'd like us to do, and then uh, I have a couple announcements. First, uh, one of our Sangha members, I can't remember who came up, Valeria, right. Valeria in the back. Her friend, Daryl, is about to uh, be operated on for colon and liver cancer. Is that correct? And he will be operated on, on March 7th. So I would like all of us for a few moments to, to bring Daryl, Valeria, into um, uh, our hearts and minds and to just shower them with all the goodwill and caring and compassion knowing that we're all, we're all um, subject to the same vulnerabilities and to send deep wishes of healing and, and health and even equanimity to Daryl and all his near and dear ones and to all of us as we meet uh, the joys and the sorrows and a deep wish that he be surrounded by healing, um, healing energy and, and love and and maybe have our practice tonight and maybe this week be dedicated to, to Daryl's health and well-being. May Daryl live with ease. And then another one of our Sangha members, Madison. Where's Madison? Madison has been with us for years, and for the last 21 months, believe it or not, for the last 21 months, Madison has been essentially homeless and has lived in 14 different temporary housing situations, and she desperately needs, and I know somebody here can come up with something, some idea, some place perhaps, she needs housing for one month, four solid weeks, for $650 or less, 
uh, and has some preferences, but not not absolute for non-smoking and non-cat. But uh, those are not as essential as having a, a roof over her head. And I'm putting this out on her behalf tonight. Uh, she has mentioned it before here and uh, unsuccessfully. And I just thought I'd give a good plug. And this is also one of the ways that we can... Uh, grow in happiness and well-being is by taking care of each other. So if anyone here can provide or has information that could help provide some housing for for um, our friend, that would be really great. Okay, thank you. Last but not least, there are two things. We have a very rare event happening this Saturday, the first of two half-day retreats at the Happiness Institute. They, it was originally dedicated to those who are, have committed to 60 days of practice, to the, what we're calling the rains retreat, the tradition that goes back to the time of the Buddha that during the rainy season, people do a little more intensive practice, which is more kind of a sensible way of the, spending the, the rainy months. Of course, it's not so rainy here. And... Uh, and we live a different kind of life, but still we can dedicate our time for some practice. And, but this is now expanded to include anyone who'd like to sit together on Saturday at the, uh, for, from 9 to 1 at the Happiness Institute. And this is uh, at 1720 Market Street. Public transportation strongly suggested. But please, come one, come all, and tell all your friends to come. It's a really cool thing to practice together for several hours in the city. And we'll sit and walk, and we'll have a little Dharma discussion. Some of it will be a check-in about the 60 days, but most of it is just just being together. And Happiness Institute has offered, as their dana, us being able to be there. So it will be a dana retreat. There will be a dana basket put out for our sangha for for supporting me for being there. But it's all dana. I'll be offering dana in the form of teaching. You'll offer dana if you like. But the Happiness Institute has offered dana. So there's no charge for it, but it's all in the spirit of giving. And hopefully you will um, generously, mostly generously bring yourself. That is, I consider that high dana is to just bring your presence to to the uh, half day long. And then last but not least, we have our... uh, we don't have this room. We're not offered this room by Donna, but you offer Donna to support our room here, and otherwise we can't be here. So $150 a week, 600 a month, which is, you know, kind of, it's a challenge for us, but the invitation is for you to practice Donna in the form of support for the room rental. There are many ways, you've, most of you already know, there are many ways to offer that. Cash in the basket, PayPal, checks to the church are tax deductible if you put Mission Dharma on the line. And then last but not least, the, um, the teacher Donna. I offer this freely. If you feel to support me being able to do this, you can. that's another way to practice Donna. So thank you for listening to all of that, and thanks for your... For, uh, reflecting on happiness a little bit and the causes of happiness. And keep practicing. See you Saturday, everyone. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.